Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's nearly the end of May, nearly getting into June, and still haven't reached 20 degree weather. Man, we got to find a way to bring some good weather here today. In the words, Public Enemy's Chuck D, bring the noise. FM Podcast Network. I am Charlie Taylor, and this is Waskip. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you have all had a good week in the circumstances. And yeah, man, I'm I'm just I'm, I'm seriously waiting for this weather to be good, man. Like all May, all May it has been literally like consistent rain and cloud. The temperature has risen a bit, you know what I mean, it's, it's up in the 14, 15, 16 range in the past couple of days, and that's good, that's good, but I'm waiting for that next Tuesday where it's looking like 25, that's what I'm looking forward to, that's what I'm trying to get at, you know what I mean, that's the vibe I'm trying to get at, so yeah man, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's we're getting there, finally, I, I, had a, I, I posed a theory, Oh, not a theory, a hypothesis to my mum the other, uh, like a few, like a month ago. I said to her, "How funny! How how interesting would it be, right? If just summer became winter and winter became summer, you know what I mean? So in June and whatever July would just be mad cold at some point, and then all the summer months will move to December and like peak on February. Like it, it's looking like that in some way because I'm just like it, it. It's 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 so it's taking so long for good weather to come through." And I'm sure there's some scientifically minded people out there that are just like, Charlie, Charlie, please, please, just, just do some reading. And yes, I probably need, still need to do some reading on that front, on cli- on anything climatology based. But, oh, I just want good weather, bruv. I just, want, I just need some good weather. Like, I'm sick of wearing my coat. Like, it's just, oh, it's just annoying. It's just boring. It's, it's literally boring. I can't even flex my shirts. You know what I mean? My shirt game's clean. I've got some good variety going on there. Got some good hoodies going on there. You know what I mean? I want to flex that shit. I'm sick of I'm sick of wearing the same damn coat. You know what I mean? Just, uh, pe- people thinking I'm just wearing the same clothes all the time. And I might as well. I mean, I am. I might as well. What's the point? You know what I mean? I ain't flexing them. You ain't going to see my shirts. You're just going to see them wearing my coats. Anyway, what am I talking about? Anyway. Let's get into the show for what it is. <laughs> we have... Uh, uh, what do we have? Uh, two life music and a sports uh, segment and uh yeah yeah there's plenty of stuff that's been going on and i will get that into a week where uh, some of it but um yeah this has been a couple of stuff that is probably worthy of talking about but i'm just like it's either happened literally as i record today or just um i don't know something i can't really be asked so uh but we'll get to some of that in a bit formatties before we begin email to its ig discord link all that all, all that is in the full show notes and also the articles will be linked in the full show notes as well. You can uh, give those a click, give those a read for yourself. Um, do do some do some of your own digging if you feel. And obviously support the writers to help make this show possible. And with that said, let the beat drop. And let's get into the show. In 
a week where the Dyson report on former BBC journalist Mike Bashir concludes he used deception to get the landmark panorama uh, interview with Princess Diana. Uh, that is one topic that I could have talked about, and I actually am in some way, but um, more on a bigger picture side of it, because you know I like to look at the bigger picture. Uh, RIP to hip-hop photographer Chi Modu, who died aged uh, 54. Um, I, I posted this on IG, um, and I said... Uh, I, 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 you know, I saved a couple of photos um, from Modu, Modu's photos, um, really iconic ones. And I said to people, um, I, I said before I posted them, I was like, I guarantee you, even if you're not into hip hop, I guarantee you, you have seen one of these photos. Um, and uh, I still believe that um, the, the G Modu has some, his catalog is just super clean and has some real iconic stuff from the 90s. Um, and beyond, and uh, yeah, man, it's uh, another great just um, documentarian in some ways of uh, hip hop's growth. And uh, salute to him and uh, RIP. Activist Sasha Johnson is in critical condition after being shot in the head. Uh, five people, this is actually a, a recent update from today, as I record, uh, five people have been arrested on suspicion of attempted murder. Um, and I think three of them are like teenagers, which is just. Um, uh, there's a lot. There's a lot to that story, and uh, if there's any genuine update, um, I'll probably I might uh, do something on it next week. Because um, I just found I just found out who Sasha Johnson was off this off this news, and uh, she's a completely just fascinating person um, on the face. So uh, that'll be um, hopefully she uh, gets out okay um, and gets out of that critical condition. Um, but yes, yeah, she's a fascinating woman. Fifty-year-old uh, Phil Mickelson becomes the oldest person to win a major golf championship. And lastly, it has been a year since the murder of George Floyd, which I was going to um, say uh, do something on, but but I feel like you know um, it, it's 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 not it's not the the anniversary, you know, quote unquote, isn't something that um, you know I. Uh, it's worth acknowledging, obviously, but it's something that I'm constantly thinking about. You know, what I mean, it's not exactly something I turn off when when I think about, you know, just just living. You know, what I mean, there's a lot of people that can just like go, oh, George Floyd died, oh, and then just move on. I I haven't moved on. Um, it's constantly it's constantly in thought. Um, and uh, you know, I could talk about it, and that's the thing. That's kind of the thing I'm I'm saying. I could talk about this any week. Um, but I just choose not to because, you know, why harp on uh, stuff I've already talked about? Unless, you know, obviously there's a new angle I feel like talking about. Or I just, you know, or maybe I'm just being, uh, I just want to be repetitive about stuff. And, and, you know, being honest, that's sometimes how I like to do things. But um, in this case, you know, obviously everyone, uh, a lot of people did write-ups on it. Uh, this I'm recording on the 26th and this was on the 25th. So um, obviously people were writing about it yesterday um, extensively. Um, you know, just uh, how how you know a year since what has what has uh, what has changed since and stuff like that, and you know, just general commentary. Um, but I didn't really a I didn't really find anything, you know, uh, that stat that stood out, and b I just would rather not. Um, to be completely honest, and uh, I, you know, I think you all guys, I think you guys know where I stand on everything. But anyway, speaking of, <laughs> where you know I know where I stand. Um, let's get into this uh, little Tory Islamophobia story. Love it, love to hi- love to hear it. Um, this is amongst uh, plenty of other things um, that's been uh, shot at uh, by the uh, shot 
to the Tories uh, today, especially. Shout out to Dominic Cummings. Going to watch that on the news when I get off here today. Um, so this article is via Sky News. It's via Alex, uh, by Alex Colbertson. Uh, it's called, uh, it's an exclusive apparently. Tories Islamophobia Inquiry. Former Conservative Chair says report shows party, quote, institutionally raci- racist, which um, I'm sure you guys know um, is a big surprise by me. Um, but let's get into it regardless. Former Conservative Chair Baroness Varsi uh, says a report into t- Tory Islamophobia shows the party is institutionally racist despite the findings saying otherwise. <laughs> oh, do they now? Oh, I love to see these findings. Uh, Baroness Varsi told Sky Sports uh, political editor Beth Rigby in an exclusive interview, quote, I think the findings of this report show clearly that Conservative Party is institutionally racist. That's based upon the definition of what institutional races, of what is institutional racism. The way I see it, if it looks like institutional racism, feels like institutional racism, fits the definition of institutional racism, then I'm afraid is institutional racism, unquote. See, 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 Wasi knows. Baroness Wasi speaking some facts there. If it smells like, if it smells like shit and, uh, and you step in it and you go, ugh, that shit, it's shit. You know what I mean? That, that means that, that was a poor, that was a poor, that was, that was a, that was a rubbish saying, but you know what I mean? It's shit. Uh, Baroness Wasi, who campaigned for six years against Islamophobia in her party, said the independent report found examples of racism in the party's process, attitudes and behaviour which, quote-unquote, satisfies the definition of institutional racism. Okay, here's here's something I keep thinking about when it comes to, um, when it comes to politics in general, right? So Baroness Wasi, uh, for people for people that don't know, um, she is of uh, South Asian descent. I'm just about to search her up right quick, just to um, get a... Uh, um, just to see if uh, there's any uh, particular, um, you know, country I can uh, mention in terms of uh, where she where she's uh, from. Uh, okay, second of five daughters, born in Dewsbury, uh, to Pakistani immigrants uh, from Bewal, uh, Gujar Khan. I hope I'm saying that. Her ancestors are from southern Punjab. Right there, you go. So, Punjab, um, is, uh, Pakistani. Right, you know, you know about Naswasi's fun. That's why I just wanted to get into that, just because I'm saying I wanted to make this point. So, Baroness Wasi ha- is, you know, obviously British first in this case, um, and but she does have, you know, heritage in Pakistan and Punjab, right? She has the roots, right? And you, you can, it's, it's a, there's a lineage there, right? And she campaigned for six years against Islamophobia in her party, okay? And, uh, you know, that's a long time. That That's a really long time, okay? So you're telling me that you campaigned all this time for Islamophobia, and the report says otherwise, which we'll get into, okay? And you're still in the Conservative Party. Like, <laughs> I feel like something has to give there, you know? Like, you're not married to the Conservative Party. And even in marriage, like, you don't, you know, that's obviously upholding a stereotype that you shouldn't leave your marriage. But, like, you know, it's not, you're not handcuffed to the Tory party, Baroness Varsi. You, you can dip. If you, if you feel like, if you have to play, if you have to preach for six years about institutional racism and especially Islamophobia in your party, then I feel like you, uh, you know, obviously there's a, there's a case for, like, um, you know, uh, you know, you wanna you wanna improve on your on, on what you you know on what you are um, uh, attached to, right? You know, there's there's some there's some respect you can find in that, right? But 
I'm just seeing. I I just I don't know. I, I don't know, guys. I just see the Tory party, you know, and, and the stuff they've done over the past. I don't know, 100 or so years, you know what I mean, uh, longer than that, if you really want to get deep into it, and I just see a bit of a lost cause, you know, just, just that's just me, that's just me, obviously Baroness Wasi, um sees a different vibe to it, but, um, you know, apparently she sees something uh, that, she, that can be saved, and, um, I'm just trying to think of a song where, like, uh, he can't be saved, um, I, uh, there's a song to that, I forget what the song is, but yeah, can't be safe, but that's just me. Anyway, let's continue this article. She also said, while some of her recommendations are quote uh, are good and should be implemented, I think we right. I think we now need an independent inqu- independent equality and human rights commission uh, investigation because there are flaws to this report. Unquote, and said she will be referring to the party to the commission. People who have made complaints about Islamophobic behaviour have called her to say. They were not given the opportunity to give evidence. She added, Baroness Wasi also thinks she uh, also said she thinks Boris Johnson quote accepts he is part of the problem and that he got it wrong in the past unquote. And although his apology over comments about women in burqas was meanly mouth mealy mouthed, she said we can move on from that. <sighs> okay, the inquiry is carried out by Professor Swaran uh, Swaran Singh. A former Equality and Human Rights Commissioner who founded anti-Muslim set who found quote anti-Muslim sentiment remains a problem within the party unquote but there is quote unquote no evidence the party is institutionally racist. Professor Singh examined fourteen hundred and eighteen complaints relating to seven hundred and twenty-seven separate incidents between twenty fifteen and twenty twenty <laughs> five years. Jesus Christ, culminating in a forty-four thousand word report published on Tuesday. He found two-thirds of all reported uh, complaints to the Tories' headquarters uh, related to allegations of anti-Muslim discrimination. The complaints included comments made by the Prime Minister about women in burqas when he was a journalist and Lord Goldsmith's London mayoral campaign linking opponents to the Khan to Islamic extremists. Oh, of course. Uh, the Muslim Council of Britain, the MCB, uh, welcomed Professor Singh's report, but said it, quote, does fall short of acknowledging the root causes of this bigotry. Hmm. Unquote. Hmm. Guys, guys, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm getting a sense of deja vu here. I'm getting some deja vu. Is this not exact, the exact same vibe of the, of the uh, Sewell race report? I'm getting a similar vibe here. I'm getting a similar vibe. Now, I just want to say, I haven't, t- I haven't even, you know, read a word of the report, right? I'm going off this article as, as, as it stands, right? But mm, I'm getting a taste. I'm get, I'm getting a vibe. I'm catching a vibe here. Uh, it's the exact same. Uh, it's, it's got the exact same. Uh, uh, um, I don't know flaws in the report as the Sewell uh, race report. Just saying. Just want to throw that out there. You know, not concrete, but that's what just what that's the feeling I'm getting from this. Let's continue. Uh, where are we at? Uh, also call for the EHRC uh, to quote determine whether uh, whether any breaches of law have taken place, unquote. Uh, Zara Mohammed, the MCB's Secretary-General, said, quote, the investigation primary, primarily deals with uh, with form over substance. Mm-hmm. Procedure is important, but it needs to be underpinned by dealing with the deep-seated issues of institutional racism. Excuse me. Uh, we hope that this is the starting point of the party's own self-reflection, unquote. <laughs> 
Oh, guys, come on. Come on, guys. Come on. I know. Uh, so this report has obviously been, you know, uh, is covered the past five years, right? And and you and you're going and you're going. Let's hope they have some self-reflection after all these fucking years. Come on, are you seriously doing this to me? This is painful, right? Continuing on, Muslim engagement and development. Uh, mend apparently. Uh, yeah. Uh, describe the, describe the report as a whitewash, saying it failed to address the quote pervasive climate of Islamophobia across the party. Dot, dot, dot. Instead of instead dismissing such issues issues as uh, merely giving the impression of Islamophobia, a conclusion that is little more than gaslighting. Unquote. Former Chancellor Sajid Javid, oh, can't wait for to see what he thinks. Uh, who committed to holding an inquiry into Islamophobia in the 2019 Tory leadership election, said the investigation found quote distressing distressing examples of anti-Muslim sentiment at the local association and individual levels, as well as serious shortcomings in the party's complaints process, unquote. Conservative co-chairman Amanda Milling Milling said the party accepted all the recommendations set out by Professor in in Professor Singh's report. Okay, there's a problem there, because people are saying there's flaws in the report, and you're accepting all the recommendations. I haven't seen the recommendations, but I highly assume the recommendations aren't exactly that worthy. But that's but that's just how I'm see uh, I'm seeing this. Continuing on, quote, on behalf of the Conservative Party, I would like to apologise to anyone who has been hurt by the discriminatory behaviour of others, uh, or failed by our system. She added, uh, we held this investigation to address these allegations to make sure that any discrimination are isolated and to look at how we can improve and strengthen our complaints process. The Conservative Party will continue to take a zero-tolerance approach to discrimination of any kind and take immediate action to uh, to improve our handling of complaints. It is clear that there have been failings in our complaints process and we'll begin, uh, we will begin work on implementing the recommendations set out by the investigation. Okay. Yeah. Guys, if, um, you know... It, 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 <laughs> this is so... It's just, it's just, um, it's just funny... Um, to me, how um, uh, it's easy this 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 cycle is. Like it's so easy for them. It's so easy for politicians to just say the right thing and then keep it fucking moving. Like who's gonna keep these? Who's gonna keep feet to the fire on this front? Like you haven't given. I mean, in that article anyway, there hasn't really been. There's not really much to chew on there. You know, what I mean, there's not. There's not exactly. Um, you know, a detailed account. Obviously, the one mentioned they mentioned that uh, Johnson Burkers thing, right? Okay, right. And so, what's what's what are we gonna do then? So, it, I, I assume Boris Johnson ain't gonna do nothing. Like he's just gonna keep moving on with life. So, if if he, uh, you know, guys, I'm I'm of the I'm of the mindset, right? That um, you know, if you wanna if you wanna change something, start from the top. Simple. I feel, I feel like that's a, you know, simple thing to do, right? I feel like that's, you know, agreeable. Like, if you want something to change, you have to start at the top, right? You know, it's logical, right? I, th- I think you... Hopefully you guys can agree on that front, right? So, the the, the only example of um of Islamophobia or, or any, uh, you know, uh, iota of discrimination that has been... Uh, that was um, laid out in that particular article was uh, the Johnson-Burkers thing, right? Okay. 
So, what would you suggest is a, uh, you know, suitable, um, not even a punishment, but what do you suggest Boris Johnson should do? Just just apologise, because he has. So, you good now? You happy? Institutional racism in Tory party, gone, right? Is that how it works? Because apparently that's how it works. That's how it's looking like it's going to work. Like it, <laughs> it, it just makes me laugh. Whenever this shit comes through. Because it doesn't do anything. Like the report says a lot of stuff. You know what I mean? And you know there will be some decent. There might be some decent recommendations here and there. But who's going to keep their feet to the fire? And and again and again. Well not again but you know. The word recommendation. <laughs> is very important here. <laughs> this This is not a demand. This is a recommendation. They can choose not to do this. <laughs> They can choose not to do fuck all. And guys, I feel like they're going to choose to do fuck all. But I just wanted to highlight this. Just just to, just to, just to give myself a smile. Um, because uh, I just find it funny when, um, you know, all of this, you know, shit comes through. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's come to their door. And basically all they do is just, you know, throw it to the next house. And, you know, forget about it. It's just like, it's nothing to them. Like, this means nothing. This really means nothing. Islamophobia is still gonna run rampant through the Tory Party. Is what it is. Like if it if it wasn't before, then it's certainly gonna stay there now. Why would it change? Why would it change? Seriously. Well, because Sadiq Javid and Pretty Patel are in heavy uh, high positions. No. Well, because Baroness Varsi is a Baroness. Like no. No. That's not. That's not how it works. That's that's not how it works. So I I don't know. I just wanted to talk about that just for fun. Um, because uh, at the end of the day, it's not going to affect anything. It's not; they're not going to change. Um, and pff, I don't know. It's 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 just a fun exercise in seeing how you know these report these reports coming through, and you know there's a bit of furor about it. You know, people comment on it. You know, I mean, important people in the uh, you know Muslim community, etc., etc. They say some good stuff, and then just keep it moving. Next. New cycle continues a rolling. Gotta love it. So, hop into our uh, sports topic, and uh, this is all about uh, my G, everyone's G. Tony Hawk. Um, I, I, I just I just love Tony Hawk, man. I, I just love the I just love his vibe. Like he's just an interesting dude. Um, he's uh, you know much older these days. Um, he's actually uh, I remember seeing a video of him a couple of uh, a month or so ago where like he did his he said he's never gonna do a seven twenty again uh, seven twenty spin. Just do your googles. And it was just um I don't know it was a very fascinating because um. Because I remember just, like, back in the day where, like, you know, the games I played was Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2. Like, I remember the soundtrack to that. I remember every, you know, the courses, all that kind of stuff. Obviously, it got remastered recently. Um, and that's cool. Uh, but, yeah, man, Tony Hawk's just a just an absolute G, man. And I saw this article from The Guardian uh, via, uh, uh, I keep saying via, by Brianna Holt. Um, about just talking to Tony Hawk, and I just found it really interesting, so I thought it was uh, worth a read. So it's called I'm Way Older, But I'm Still Doing It, Tony Hawk on His Skateboarding Legacy. And, uh, yeah, I'm just a, 
I've always been interested in like skateboarding in general. Like I can't skate for shit. I remember I tried as a youth and I was well, I wasn't really into it. Um, it's not my steez. Uh, give me a scooter any day. I'll, I'll fuck with a scooter. But um, yeah, skateboards. I don't know. It's just a bit. Mm, I don't know. I, I'll, I'll happily watch. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, but anyway, let's get into this article. It's uh, good stuff on here. In January, after a few attempts to uh, a few attempts of previous days, Tony Hawk landed a 720, a skateboarding trick involving two four rotations midair. Hawk is widely understood to have invented the 720, a move he has performed many times during his career, but this time, as he wrote on Twitter, it, quote, was a battle, dot, 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 I can't imagine doing any more, unquote. I'm speaking to Hawk from his car. He is on his way to, uh, on his way home uh, to Encinitas, 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 California? I'm probably saying that wrong. En Encinitas, Encinitas, I'm trying to think if I've heard it before, I don't think I have, anyway, Encinitas, California, California. having just wrapped a snowboarding trip uh, in Mammoth Mountain, at 53, it's not that he's physically incapable of performing the trick again, he says, uh, but that the risk, think a broken pelvis and teeth knocked out, versus the rewards will not be worth it in years to come, unquote. Hawk is a busy guy, looking at his Instagram page, uh, it would be. It would seem his schedule, speaking on podcasts, juggling meetings, taking trips and visiting events, comes easy to the man who has made a lifelong career from skateboarding, but it isn't. I've witnessed the hours that it demands up front. I've spent some time around him and his family during his trip to California with my boyfriend, also a pro skate, skateboarder, and it was clear that Hawk is pretty much always on call. But one other thing was clear. The man really does just love skateboarding. If you grew up in the 1990s, it was almost impossible for you not to know him. The most famous name in skateboarding. He invented 89 vertical, vertical tricks, won more than 70 contests, and even guest starred him as himself on The Simpsons. His hugely popular video game series saw him pick up a Teen Choice Award, and his cameos in the show Rocket Power... Oh, fuck, that's a flashback. Oh my gosh, do you not remember Rocket Power? Oh my gosh, my sister fucking loved that show, bro. And I, 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 don't, I don't think I appreciated it um, as a youth. I don't think I've really fully appreciated it. But I do remember it. And it was just super sick. Like, oh my gosh. Oh, wow. That's a throwback. That's just really sent me back. Wow, I need to watch some Rocket Power. That's fire. Seriously, guys. If you haven't seen Rocket Power, absolute classic. Absolute stone cold classic. Like, honestly, guys. And it, it, I'm minor tangent. But I, like, I, feel, I see some kid shows today, right? And, you know, they're cool. But some of the some of the shit you some of the shit in the nineties and early two thousands, there are some untouchable gems in there, man. And none of them, get, and I don't think any of them, like apart from a, f- a couple, like get their get their shine. Like it's some of them, most of them have been forgotten, and it's super and it's super depressing. Like it's it's oh my god, so many classics. Uh, let me continue. Uh, Rocky Power and film. Uh, uh, Lords of Dogtown speak to the influence of his name in the industry. The fame was never Hawk's aim. Ha, huh, good, good rhyme. Growing up in San Diego in the 1970s, Hawk was bound to get on a board. His older brother Steve was an outstanding surfer who skated frequently and kept boards around the house. Out of curiosity, Hawk tried his luck, eventually using skateboarding as a means of transportation uh, to and from school. But it was photos of skaters from a magazine that set him on a new path. Quote, I was flabbergasted by what I saw. Literally skateboarders flying in and out of swimming pools and I just thought, I want to get to that level. I want to learn how to do that, he says. Little uh, little did he know, one day he would be competing against those same skaters, names such as Steve 
Caballero, I think it's Caballero, uh, Eddie El Guerra, and Billy Ruff. At the time, learning unique tricks wasn't the norm. Skating was more focused on style and how high one could go. But Hawk enjoyed manoeuvring his body and board in new ways, setting him apart from many in his cohort. He was also learning to play the violin, which involved additional practices after school and extracurricular concerts on the weekends. Quote, at some point, I told my music teacher that I'm skateboarding and competing on the weekends, and he flat out told me that I have to choose violin or skateboarding. Unquote. He chose the latter. I wonder if he. St- I wonder if he still does violin. That'll be an interesting question to ask if he ever picked that up again. Because you know you can pick it up again. You know what I mean? Just, you know, if, if. Is 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 learning an instrument like riding a bike? I don't think it is. is it? I don't, I don't think it is. Um, after a couple of years of moving up the ranks in competitions, Hawk went pro at 14. And almost four decades later, Hawk can claim he took skateboarding mainstream. Yes, he did. Not that he would, quote, I never think of it in such personal lofty, lofty terms. I'm happy if whatever I've done has raised the profile of skating and has maybe uh, changed the stigma that skating is for outcasts, losers and whatnot. That's, such a, that's the most humble quote you'll ever fucking read. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ, that's, that is so uber humble. Wow, respect. Um, instead, Hawks like to think of himself as a skateboarding advocate and someone who just helped it along. Of course he does. That's great. What a G. Um, aside from his talent on the board, Hawk is embedded in numerous projects that prioritise the intersection of skateboarding and community. His foundation, the Skate Park Project, helps build skate, uh, public skate parks in underserved, com- underserved communities. The non-profit directly contributes to diversifying a sport that has historically lacked inclusivity in its earlier days. Individually, Hawk is always supporting skaters in need, most recently helping the skater get prosthetic legs. Today, skateboarding looks different to when Hawk was getting started. You can find anyone at the skate park despite their gender, sexual orientation, or ethnic background. More women are going pro, and this year the sport will make its Olympic debut in Tokyo. During the pandemic, learning to skateboard saw as, saw an unlikely boom, as the practice uh, as the practice can take place safely outdoors and alone. And with more facilities and skate parks popping up left and right, coupled with major fashion collaborators like Louis Vuitton's first skate shoe with Lucy and Clark, skateboarding is more embedded in popular culture than ever before. Quote, everyone skates now, or has some uh, attachment to it. That's me. Uh, or some, uh, or has some interest is, uh, interest in it. That's also me. It's woven into the fabric of youth now. And I'm not youth anymore. I'm 25. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Hawk says. Uh, but members of the skateboarding community have differing views on skateboarding's mainstream facet. Some people have labelled Hawk as, as a sellout because of his endorsements in the early 2000s with brands like McDonald's, Mountain Dew and Bagel Bites. Others have frowned upon the unspoken sentiment that he popularised skateboarding as a competition sport rather than as an, rather than as an art form. Popularity and success has always always opened the door for scrutiny. And as Hawk tells me about fame, quote, it's like you're living under a microscope and anything you do or say can be misconstrued or taken down from uh, down a rabbit hole, unquote. Well, few realise is his role in the future of skateboarding, simply through the relationships he holds with young upcoming skaters, often opening his home, which has a bowl in the backyard, and his private warehouse, which features a 13.5 feet vertical ramp and a street flow course, Hawk is hoping to inspire the next generation. That's how I got to spend a bit of time with him, with when my boyfriend spent a month skating with him and his sons. Quote, I just love that I still get to be in the mix. I get to participate. It's such a fun window to be in, where, uh, where I'm way older, but, I st- but I'm still doing it. 
and then I get to skate with these guys who are truly pushing the limits of what uh, what I thought was possible, he says. Hawk is no, notably free of public scandals and controversial statements. He says it's because he isn't ever trying to present a fake version of himself, which certainly reflects my experience of being a guest in his home. He is authentically himself, laughing at the office reruns, ordering takeout quite frequently, and always up for a game of Mario Kart. Quote, there's a machine that goes along with celebrity. When people just fabricate a certain persona, and they put it out there, and that's what you're led to believe they are, he says. But Hawk admits he didn't always get it right. Quote, I followed and chased my career a little bit too much. A little too much, and gave up. Uh, and gave up time with my family because of that. I wish I had. I wish that I had a better balance of work and family back then. He says. Uh, his only other regret is the carelessness that came with his worst injury, a broken pelvis, for a skit dr- uh, for MTV's Wild Boys. Quote: They wanted me to dress like a gorilla and skate through it. I misjudged my speed and fell from the top. If I could go back to that time, I would have been a lot more careful with what I was doing, he says. It seems now Hawk is really being careful. How does it feel, knowing that he won't be able to form some of his favourite tricks much longer? Quote, It's been kind of a fun process to do them for the last time. I don't think many athletes get to go through that process very much, because at some point, they're just not doing it anymore. And they never never had any sort of closure, unquote. And uh, well, another quote. There you go. And I'm at a place and more of an awareness that I can have closure on these things. Unquote. And that's cool, man. That, that's that's really cool. And that's a great thing to think about. Like of how you know there are a lot of people that don't have um, that opportunity to you know do that that thing one last time and actually you know you know either document it or just know for a fact that that's your last time doing it. I think that's very cool to know. Like, you know, if you're a footballer, you you don't know... You, you may know when your last goal is going to be, right? Um, but you, you 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 can still play as a... You know, when you're, when you, you know, 70. If, if, as long as your legs work, you can still kick a ball. You know what I mean? It'll go into a net. Uh, maybe you'll remember your last professional goal, sure. But, you know, for, some, for a lot of players, that may not be documented. That may not be televised. You know, not everybody's Sergio Aguero. Um, so it's, it's interesting. Um, but yeah, that's kind of a fast, that that last bit really fascinates me of like how you, you, you make a plan. Um, this is the final time I'm going to do a 720 and this is the final time I'm going to do a McTwist or whatever. I don't know if he's still doing those, but yeah. Um, but yeah, man, uh, Tony Hawk's just a fascinating dude. I just, I just love him. And also, um, I share the same birthdays in, by the way, just a, just a live flex. I, I keep forgetting that <laughs> until I actually, until it comes to my birthday, I'm like, I have the same birthday as Tony Hawk. That's fucking lit. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's just, that's a nice flex to have. I don't know why. It's, it's just a nice flex. Um, but yeah, man, shout out to Tony Hawk, man. I, 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 I so want to meet that dude so bad. Like, it's just, there's no other dude. There's no, especially in the skateboarding world, there's just no one else I'd rather meet. Like, it's Tony Hawk's the G, man. And, I think the things I'd ask him about is more like the stuff before the fame, like uh, the stuff, uh, uh, the, the the you know, because sur- obviously skateboarding came out of surfer culture, so I kind of want to, uh, I've always wanted to know, like, and I, I think there's a few documentaries, I think I saw one documentary about uh, either Tony Hawk himself or just like skating and how it came about, um, I actually had a documentary series idea, like when I was in a, <sighs> how old was I, like 15? 
um, so like 10 years ago, and I still have the idea in my head. I keep, uh, every time it comes to someone like, uh, when it comes to action sports, um, it always comes back to me because that's where the original idea came from. Um, and I won't blow it up here, but yeah. And uh, yeah, I've just been, I've just always been fascinated by action sports and, um, you know, skateboarding in particular is definitely one of them. Snowboarding is another one. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously Tony Hawk's just, it's, it's, it's the guy, in it? It's the guy, man. Everyone, everyone knows Tony Hawk. Like, <laughs> I mean, like, how do you not know Tony Hawk? Like, imagine, I asked this, asked this question um, on Twitter yesterday. Um, because there's uh, some rumblings of a Jackass four, and uh, um, uh, I was I, I was just I just asked like, do, do the youths do the youths know what Jackass is? Do, do, are they aware of Jackass? You know what I mean? Because that's a very if you're like you know my, around my age, like twenty five, you know what I mean, twenties, thirties in that range, um, you know Jackass, right? Everyone's everyone's seen at least one clip of Jackass, right? Everyone's seen the iconic clip, whatever it is, either it's from the movie or the TV series. You know, everyone's seen a bit of Jackass, right? I just wonder whether the youth have seen it, and how and are they are they missing out on just some the funniest shit on television ever? Like, I just Jackass is an a a, a um uh, a linchpin in my theory that the two thousands was fucking weird, and uh, Jackass is so so up high up there. Like the fact that that even existed is just fucking crazy to me. Um, and yeah, I just I, I I take that question to Tony Hawk. Like, do the youths know who Tony Hawk is? Like, if you, if they if they're youths and they skateboard, then sure. But like, I don't know. Like, do they play Tony Hawk's Pro Skater? They may play the remastered version, but have they ever played the PS2 version back in the day, bro? Have they play that old THPS2? Don't know, bro. Don't know. But um, uh, do they play Tony Hawk's Underground? That's my favorite one. Underground was so good. I love Underground. Um, but yeah, I just, I just find that so fascinating. Like, do the Utes even know? Do they even know, bruv? Do they even know the G that's Tony Hawk? Do they even know rocket power like that? They probably don't, but... And that's and that's on them. That's on them. That's, uh, they, that's their loss. Um, yeah, man. Shout out to Tony Hawk. Absolute G. move on to our second life topic and uh, I told you I'm going to talk about that Martin Bashir stuff just, just, just in, in some way but um, this is an article more about um, uh, tabloid media versus the BBC and just a general conversation of media ethics because I just find me uh, journalistic ethics and journalist ethic and uh, you know just that kind of morals as it pertains to journalism and how it's supposed to be done and what not to do I just find that stuff so fascinating because a lot of the people break rules, but, you know, as long as they get the scoop, then it's fine, you know what I mean, um, in a lot of ways, but um, not. Ev- I, don't think, I don't think everybody goes through the proper channels all the time, and sometimes it's worth, you know, it, it reminds me of, like, you know, when you watch, um, when you watch them loose cannon cop shows, right, and it's just like, oh, he's breaking the rules, but he got the case done, so is that good? It's not ethical, but he got the job done. It's just like, and then life moves on. It's just like, but he broke the law. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just, but nothing happened. Um, but yeah, this is this is a fascinating article. Um, it's by uh, it's by the New Statesman. It's written by Martin Fletcher, and it's called "Britain's Shameless Tabloids Have No Right to Lecture the BBC on Media Ethics." And obviously, this is more obviously towards uh, well, you'll get it. You'll you'll get it when it links to the. Bashir Dianist uh, News, so let's jump right in. Nobody did more than the tabloids to kill Princess Diana. 
but they have never shown any con- uh, contrition. The Tory tabloids have been f- having a field day. Through, it, through the Martin Bashir scandal, the BBC has handed them a huge rod in which to beat it, and how gleefully they have seized the opportunity. They've devoted page after page to Auntie's shame, uh, utterly oblivious to their own str- stinking hypocrisy. Uh, nobody did more than the tabloids to kill Princess Diana. It was quite literally the paparazzi, the photographers that supplied their front page pictures, who chased her Mercedes at high speed into the Paris tunnel where she died in 1997. It was the tabloids who relentless, relentlessly stalked that vulnerable young woman and fueled her paranoia by turning royal employees into paid informants. Does anyone seriously doubt that they would have, they would not have forged bank statements or worse to secure an interview with her and ha- her had the ruse uh, occurred to them? In his eulogy uh, at his sister's funeral, Charles Spencer called Diana, quote, the most hunted person of the modern age, unquote, and said she, quote, talked endlessly of getting away from England, mainly because of her treatment that she received at the hands of the newspapers, unquote. If the tabloids felt any contrition following her death, they did not show it. They instead proceeded to hack the mobile, f- mo- mobile, mobile, mobile phones of their of her two sons, William and Harry. Not to mention those of uh, those of those of scores of celebrities. I think there's an extra of there. Those scores of celebrities, uh, politicians, sports stars, and a thirteen and a thirteen-year-old murder victim, Millie Dowler. Didn't even know that's fucking mad. Um, in the end, they drove Harry and Meghan into exile. Meghan Markle into exile. There is obviously an important role for tabloids. Not everyone can be expected to read the Guardian, Times, or Financial Times. There are some brilliant tabloid journalists, and the tabloids have done plenty of great investigative and campaigning journalism over the years. But they also have a long and disgraceful history of subterfuge, blackmail, bribery, fabrication, entrapment, character assassination, lynch mobbing, pernicious checkbook journalism, and ruin- ruining lives for commercial commercial game. More generally, the tabloids exercise a baleful influence on our democracy. They coarsen public discourse by demolishing opponents, eliminating nuance, and reducing every issue to black and white, good and bad. They cut politicians no slack. Invariably, well, well, stop there. Cut politicians no slack? Mm, What politicians, though? Anyway, continuing on. Uh, invariably putting the worst construction on everything they do and never, ever giving them the benefit of the doubt. They erode trust in all journalism, not just their own. They punish original thought, mature debate, and progressive ideas with their knee-jerk conservatism. Try suggesting, for example, that euthanasia should be permitted in certain circumstances, uh, that an idea emanating from Brussels might have merit, that the UK should relinquish its nuclear arsenal, or that some British soldiers acted reprehensibly during the troubles in Northern Ireland and deserve to be prosecuted. Politicians have long lived in the fear of tabloid press. Indeed, the litmus test for government policies in modern British politics is not whether those policies are in the best long-term interests of the country, but how they will play in the next <laughs> in the next day's Daily Mail or Sun. Tony Blair used one of his final speeches after 10 years as Prime Minister to denounce the media as a Quote, uh, as a quote, feral beast tearing people and reputations into bits, unquote. And to suggest that declining standards of political reporting, uh, quote, saps the country's confidence and self-belief. It undermines its assessment of itself, its institutions, 
and above all else, it reduces our capacity to take the right decisions in the right uh, in the right spirit for our future. Unquote. He would not have dared deliver such a speech earlier in his tenure. On the contrary, he felt compelled to pay homage to Rupert Murdoch and to feed stories to his tabloids to keep them sweet. Yeah, of course he did. Uh, arguably, the most single egregious, uh, the single most egregious example of the Red Tops' uh, destructive power was their coverage of the EU referendum debate in 2016. The word coverage is a misnomer. Uh, they and Boris Johnson's mouthpiece, The Telegraph. Made not, uh, made not the slightest attempt to inform and enlighten their readers, indulging instead in Soviet-style propaganda. Ooh, ooh. That's a, that's, a, that's a tasty sentence right there. Soviet-style propaganda, yeah? Okay. They reduced a complex evaluation of the costs and benefits of EU membership to a xenophobic, jingoistic diatribe against a scheming, rep- uh, repressive European entity that existed only in their f- febrile? I think it's febrile imagination. I think that's the way it is. They did the country, its youth in particular, a vast and lasting disservice. If any other institution had inflicted such deep and protracted damage on our national life, it would have been uh, regulated long ago. But not the tabloid press. No politician would have the courage. Pussies. Um, There are, however, ominous signs that Johnson's Conservative government intends to use Bashir's scandal to exert great control of the BBC, whose political neutrality in mistakes for liberal enmity. Ministers are talking of reviewing the licence fee and imposing greater editorial oversight. Oliver Dowden, excuse me, the Culture Secretary, wants to ensure that the BBC... (laughs) Fuck. Uh, I saw this quote on Twitter... But it just makes me laugh every time I see it. I'll, I'll, I'll start again. Um, Oliver Dowden, the Culture Secretary, wants to ensure that the BBC, uh, quote-unquote, pro- projects British values. What in the fuck does that mean? Please, guys, hit me up. I don't care. Honestly, I genuinely, if you guys have any idea what British values means, I don't even care. I- even if you guys, are, if you're listening... In a non-UK country, please tell me uh, whether you're dead serious or completely joking. Hopefully, I'll get it. Hopefully, I'll understand it when you when you tell it to me. Let me know what you think. Projecting British values onto national t onto British national TV is. Let me know what you think that is. What what does British values mean? Please hit me up. Um, let's continue. Hypocritical as ever, our shameless and mendacious tabloids will uh, will doubtless uh, cheer the government on as it seeks to undermine what remains, despite last week's shocking revelations, that the most trusted media outlet in the country and the world. <sighs> I I find this so fascinating. I find I find the the connection between politicians, the royal family, um, uh, and and the news media. And also, you can throw in TV media as well. Let's let's just say let's split up. Let's, let's just let's just um, take away the BBC and make them their own entity for the moment, because obviously they link into media. But let's say you know, uh, right wing leaning print media, BBC, royal family, and uh, politicians. Right, all four of those entities are linked, like in some way. So it's funny that. Um, you know, Prince William, I think he made a statement, um, obviously responding to the uh, Bashir, um, Lord Dyson report, 
Um, and, you know, obviously bashing the BBC, like BBC, da, 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 you know what I mean? I don't know what he said, I don't, I don't care, but, um, you know, I know he made a statement towards the BBC about the Bashir uh, scandal. Um, and it's just funny to me because um, you're, 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 you're telling off the BBC for this thing, right? Where, you know, they do have blame, right? They shouldn't, for one thing, they shouldn't have hired Bashir again and made him, uh, I think he's, uh, I think he was a religious editor, in the past few years, a religion editor or something like that, so, you know, hiring him again when there was, like, you know, the stink on him was, was a bad move, right, stupid move, right, L, complete L, okay, um, but you seem, you seem to, um, you seem to forget that, um, you know, the tabloids, all, they, where's the hate towards the tabloids, Will, where's the hate? You know what I mean? I, I just find it weird how, like, I never see the royal family, like, you know, bitching about the media, where, you know, media, the the print media consistently, like, gives gives us the most inane bollocks about the royal family. And you know the reason why they don't shoot the print media? Because they need them. Because they need them. And it's so funny to me how fucking fickle everyone is in this, in this, in this, uh, uh, fuck in this gumbo of garbage, it's so fascinating to me, it just makes me, ugh, I just hate to be part of any, or any four of them, because they need each other, but they will hate each other at the same time, it's so fascinating, it's so interesting, because if any of them are removed, they're fucked, the rest of them are fucked, like, Let's, you know, it said in it said in the article, right? And I uh, and I don't know, I don't know this for fact, right? If you know, if the if the um, if the firm or any of the any of, any of those people in the background of the royal family, right? If they if they actually goaded on the you know print media and did what they clearly did to Meghan Markle, right? And if they did the exact same thing to Diana, then what the fuck is William doing? Like uh, talking, giving all the giving it all this about um, you know the BBC and how reprehensible they are. And the print media, and potentially the firm behind you that basically uses you as a fucking marionette, potentially killed your mother, bruv. And you, and you're, <laughs> fuck. it doesn't make sense. It's absolutely batshit. This whole thing absolutely fascinates me. It the linkage between these four entities is so interesting to me, and. Uh, I, I would dread to be part of any of it. Like, just I want to be straight on the outside of any all of that because in, in being part of any of those machines will make will will just <sighs> irritate my sensibilities. I'm gonna be real. <laughs> like, I uh, I can I'd have to talk up so much so often about certain things, and uh, yeah, the, people won't like that. Like, that'll be just don't get me in any of those rooms, bro. <clears throat> There's just no point. I'll just be talking, and uh, I'll be burning a lot of bridges. Going to be real with you, you won't want me to be director general of the BBC right now. <laughs> I'll be making some changes um, that are completely different to what the you know British values were. Fuck that! British values. What does that even mean? What does that even mean? Oh, let's move on. I'm, I'm just exhausting.
So we move on to our final segment of the episode, and it's music. And uh, recently, it was the 50th anniversary of one of the greatest albums of all time. No matter what genre, top five all time, in my opinion, regardless of genre, uh, Marvin Gaye's What's Going On. And uh, I found this great piece uh, via Emily Lordy, uh, by Emily Lordy, who's a professor at Vanderbilt University, author of The Meaning of Soul, Black Music and Resilience Since the 1960s. Um, this is via The Guardian, and uh, yeah, I just wanted to give some good words on it and just preach how great the album is. If you guys haven't listened to what's going on, you are missing out on some of the greatest pieces of music in the past 50 years, like literally in the past 50 years. It's, every time I listen to it, it's so refreshing and it's so bright and colourful, but yet also just super just dense in its commentary and oh, so timely still it's timeless it's crazy to me how op the album is so um let's jump into this article marvin gaye's classic uh, 1971 record what's going on turns 50 this month which means more people than ever will have the occasion to know how timely it is quote he could have written what's going on yesterday poet nikki giovanni uh, wrote, uh, noted in an interview last autumn, explaining that the cover portrait of the t- of her 2020 collection, Make Me Rain, pays homage to Gay's album cover, picturing Giovanni in a raincoat, her collar upturned. The record's endurance, most movingly displayed by Nelson Mandela, who shortly after his release from prison in 1990 recited lines from the album uh, at Tiger Stadium in Detroit, has practically become a cliché. No one is wrong, of course, to say that Gay's album cuts as deeply today as it did in 1971. A divinely inspired work driven by uh, driven by uh, social rage, one that braided doo-wop harmonies, jazz, and the hymns Gay had loved as a child. What's going on was also Gay's declaration of creative independence from Barry Gordy's Motown machine. After a decade of polished pop hits, Gay, now in his early 30s, revealed that there was a lot in his mind. The outrage at the war in Vietnam. Uh, songs like uh, song used in What's Happening Brother, The Strangulation of the Natural World, Mercy Mercy Media Ecology, uh, The Strategic invo- Enforcement of Urban Poverty and Police Violence in the City Blues, Make Me Wanna Holler, uh, The Insurgent, uh, this, the insurgent subject matter was accompanied by a change in Gay's personal style. He stopped wearing ties and grew a beard. Uh, quote, black men weren't supposed to look overtly masculine, unquote. He told his biographer David Ritz, quote, I had spent my entire career looking harmless and the look no longer fi- uh, and the look no longer fit. I wasn't harmless. I was pissed at America, unquote, unquote. What's going on remains uh, vital, uh, remains vital above all for how it turns away from that America and instead addresses the title question to a closer knit group. Those people gathered at the house party gay stages in the album opening album's opening moments. The mother, mother, and father, father he calls out to, and the party setting that might uh, and that the party setting might embolden him to candidly address. Are these things getting better? Uh, are things getting better? Like the newspapers say, the speaker asks him, "What's happening, brother?" Checking the claims of those in power against the authority of everyday black people. It is one of it is one thing to celebrate gay's enduring and prescient mode of creation, another th- another to implore applaud the uh, continued resonance of his album's concerns of the yeah of his album's concerns. We should not be sanguine, for instance, that gay's understated understated blues critique of trigger happy policing has stayed so relevant, 
or that the or that anti-black violence has persisted over the last 50 years or it remains so necessary for black artists and everyday people to approach the task of surviving and thriving in America with the energy, elegance and grace that Gay modelled in his landmark work. He might have hoped it would be more occasional, that his efforts might now appear more, appear more dated. This, in any case, is the impression I get when watching Gay introduce the title track of at the Montreux Jazz Festival in the summer of 1980. Maybe he was tired. It was the last song of a long set. But the 40-year-old Gay, in his frilled white shirt and sequined red suit jacket, appears to not just work the crowd, but pander to it with some contempt. Quote, This was our very first number one record ever in the world, ladies and gentlemen. We were so proud. Thanks to you, you made it so. Hope you still enjoy it, unquote. He would be dead just four years later, shot by his own father in his parents' house in Los Angeles. A decade since, black artists have black artists have continued to treat the lasting relevance of what's going on as both problem and promise. Quote, I'm tired of Marvin asking me what's going on, Janelle Monet sings in her 2013 track Queen. This is precisely the kind of galvanising work that Gay was doing with what's going on. For his own people, in his own time, a historical point that is often obscured when we fixate on the record's timelessness. Gay's critique of the Vietnam War, for example, was, uh, which was informed by his brother Frankie's experiences of the conflict, was disarmingly distinctive. So too was Gay's growing maturity, in which black fans heard both his commitment uh, to black life and their own potential. Quote, beyond the brilliance of the string arrangements and the improvised bass lines by James Jameson, he was making power moves to give us what we needed, quote unquote, music historian uh, Ricky Vincent told me. Uh, it was motivation music because we could tell Marvin was motivated, unquote. Vincent sees Gay's actions as, quote unquote, the driving force behind Stevie Wonder's political turn uh, to Motown as well as the rigorous funk of Sly and the Family Stone and the Righteous Soul of Aretha Franklin's 1972 album Young, Gifted and Black. These stars, along with countless session musicians, were, quote, doing their best uh, work ever at this crucial moment in time, unquote. Setting the standard, in the case of Gay and his collaborator David Van, uh, Van Der Pitt's uh, meticulous string, conga, bass and vocal arrangements for what Vincent calls uh, soul music as high art. To be sure, what's going on is an impeccably composed suite. Sonic recurrences are choreographed across the course of the LP. What's happening, brother? One, ma one man asks in the opening moments, a query that becomes the title of the next track, where the first song's, uh, where the first song's background harmony emerges as the foreground melody. But there is also a sense in which the sounds remain jarring and strange. So-called timely music often arrives before you need to... Uh, before before you know you need it, and is in that sense quite untimely, outrageous, self-joint, ill-fitting. Listen to how Gay cranks the volume back up as uh, just as the title track starts to fade out, a sign of resilience as well as a petty refusal to let uh, let a track that Gordy hated end without a fight. Or one, or how one man in the opening party scene greets another and then asks, "What's your name?" Here is a con uh, conviviality. Uh, you make just by showing up where you don't have to know someone to be glad they came. What I listen for now are moments like these, which, despite repeated plays, cover versions and samples of gay songs still sound discordant and unresolved. There are searching, 
There are the searching chromatics of Save the Children, uh, Live Life for the Children, Oh for the Children, Gay Sings, may, Making His Way Up, a haunting and halting uh, musical style, as if toward a future just out of reach. In this portion of the record, timing and melody become unmoored, as Gay makes room for hard, even despairing questions. Is it possible to save the world that is destined to die? Things snap into place with the up-tempo right on. But I still don't know what that song is about. If at first Gay seems concerned with passing goods from bad actors, those of us who simply like to socialise, v those of us who tend the sick and he the people's cries, he also gathers them all into an inf- affirmative, right on, call, right on roll call, that mellows out into an oblique uh, paean to sex. Quote, uh, Am I darling one more thing? If you let me, I will take you to live where love is king. The song seems to gather all of us, quote unquote us, uh, into a broad sonic space, marked by cosmopolitan instruments ra- ranging from guiro uh, to flute, Oh, I said that really nicely, Guiro. Uh, and to make everyone's existence holy via the sanctification of sex. But then there are the screams, the squawking tenor saxophone solo with which Wild Bill Moore te- tears through Mercy, Mercy Me might be the most dramatic performance of the, hol- of the holler uh, Gay sings about in Inner City Blues. But which Gay himself delivers at the end of that song as a stylized cry, Ow! It seems, it often seems to me that the holler, the combination of the growling tones that Gay sings on the track should be fiercer, more unhinged. What Gay performs instead is a virtuosic, virtuosic? Yeah, I think that's what you say, virtuosic, uh, militant control required in the midst of panic of black people in America, no less uh, than in that other war overseas. These elements are not easily absorbed or conscripted into narrative uh, narratives about gay's moment or our own, precisely because they are the wreckers' jagged edges. They keep reaching out to grab listeners through time. It's not that they speak so clearly to this moment or where it requires, so much as they remind us of the unruly ways of grief, love, and revival. How those parts of yourself thought you had processed can come roaring back. How the people you'd given up on might uh, might suddenly come through. The record bristles, full of its impossible beauty with, unama- with unmanageable going on life. I like that last bit right there. That's the end of the article, by the way. But I love that, um, I, I love that, uh, just, uh, 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 how, uh, uh, where is it? How those parts of yourself you thought process can come roaring back. Like, th- those, that's, that's something to behold, isn't it? I'm thinking about that. And the amount of times you have a feeling or just a, um, you know, just a, just an inkling about yourself, like whether it's like personality wise or just um, how you're feeling in that moment or how you feel, you know, long term, um, you know, whether it's like a sustained, th- a sustained feeling and then you finally get rid of it and then it just, then it just comes back. Like, uh, that's, that's always something that always puts me in thought as, and the words roaring back really just um hits me just um thinking about how you you know you 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 move on from it you feel like you moved on from it and then just out of nowhere just like tears your head off <laughs> just comes from behind just goes snaps your neck um 
yeah, that's a really great that's a really great write up. Um, shout to Emily Lordy. Um, it's a great piece. And uh, uh, I actually found out a fun fact. Um, at the start of that, uh, at the start of what's going on, those two, especially the two dudes, like, hey, how going? Salad. Um, they're actually uh, two uh, Detroit Lions players. Um, uh, from back then. Um, there's a great piece by Justin Tinsley in the Undefeated. If you go like uh, look up, I don't know Marvin Marvin Gaye, Detroit Lions, something like that, um, it might pop up. Uh, there's a, and there's a fascinating. Uh, if you want to listen to the podcast version, um, Justin Tinsley hops on ESPN Daily with Pablo Torre, and he gives a great just uh, a great just 25 minutes about that and how uh, Marvin actually had a relationship with them, uh, with those two players. I forget the names, but uh, but. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's really fascinating how like he actually just want, wanted them to come to the studio, and uh, one day, and that was it. That was it was it was for what's going on, and uh, yeah, I think they're still alive now. The players, uh, or at least one of them, and uh, yeah, so that's, that was a really good um, just uh, just Easter egg, you know what I mean? To know who you know is doing. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> I I love that. I love that stuff, man. And um, yeah, man, the album's timeless, and uh, you know the main the. At one point, she got to um, talking about, you know, uh, how, you know, we fixate on the record's timeliness and the fact that, you know, some of the things were, f- uh, some of the things that, you know, we talk, uh, the stuff that stays relevant, um, you know, that's constantly harped on, I feel. And, you know, I did. I, I harped on that um, at the start. Um, and, you know, I kind of always, I kind of always think about that, Um you know, what if none of those things that he's talking about existed? You know what I mean? Uh, would the album hold, still hold that weight? And I think it would. Um, I, I, if you, if you, you just have to look at it in a different way. You have to, if if that was the case, you'd have to look at it in a di- look at it in a different context, like of how, um, uh, just from a historical context, and and listening to how he, you know, talks about police brutality or talks about you know, the war in Vietnam, stuff like that, you know, the war in Vietnam isn't happening anymore, right, but, you know, you listen to it, but you can, but with stuff like war, um, and just injustice in general, you can really generalize it, and just take it for what it is, and take it at face value, you know, you don't have to link it to the Vietnam War, obviously that's what he's talking about, but you can link that to other wars, right, you, you can link that to just injustice in general, and just like, you know, people suffering, you can link that if you want to, um, so, um, yeah man, it's a perfect album, um, it's just so sweet, um, the fact that the, sh- the track list is so short, like it's only nine tracks. Um, I ha- I have it on vinyl. Um, uh, I, th- I think a reissue, and it's just a uh, yeah, man. It's, it's the perfect album in every sense of the word, and uh, it's a perfect way to finish, ladies and gentlemen. From the Fifth End Podcast Network, I've been Charlie Taylor. It's been what's good. The intro music has been too much by Vanilla. Thanks to Jawbreakers for ability to use the track. You can find both of their links in the full show notes. Thanks to Nappy Hire for the use of Charismatic for the interlude. You can find his uh, link in the full show notes as well. And with that said, I hope you all have a good week. I shall always try and do the same. But until the next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen.